Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. My guest in this episode uh, hails from a tiny community called Warralong. It's uh, southeast of Port Hedland. It's uh, a pretty small uh, Aboriginal community uh, up in our northwest, and I suppose like uh, a lot of uh, youngsters, uh, my guest grew up with uh, a dream of maybe one day pulling on the West Coast Eagles jumper and, and playing professional football. But uh, I'm pleased to say his uh, his plan B uh, has led to uh, an extraordinary story in itself, and perhaps even a more noble path that he's uh, he's now taking, and he is. Uh, I'm also pleased to say our 2020 Young West Australian of the Year. So uh, it's with great pleasure I welcome Yalalu Thomas. How are you going? Good, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for making the time because uh, from everything that I've read about you, all the incredible things that you've been doing, uh, you must be an extremely busy person. Yeah, I like to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, firstly, uh, Young West Australian of the Year, tell us about... Um, you know, what a, what a ride that was when you first became aware that you were perhaps in the running and then you were awarded that title. Yeah, well, it's quite a funny story. I was over at a conference in Darwin um, and I got a phone call to say that I would be a finalist for the Australian of the Year Awards and I didn't even know that I was nominated for it. Yeah. Um, so it came as an absolute surprise and then on the night winning it, it was sort of 48 hours on adrenaline um, and just, you know, quite, you know, gassed about what, what, what actually happened. Um, but yeah, from there, it's been amazing in terms of just attending the Australian of the Year Awards um, and yeah, being able to meet such amazing people all across the country doing mm. amazing work. And, and when you go back to, to Warralong, <laughs> how are you received there? Do they, do they treat you any differently? Yeah, no, they don't. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still you know, part of the family and it's good, keeps me humbled and yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny, you know, back at home, sometimes we have to jump on top of the roof to fix the antenna to put the TV on. Yeah. Um, and that's what happened when, you know, they found out that I w- was being on live TV a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, a lot of people from community, um, yeah, quite proud, I think, of yeah. where I've come from and, you know, representing them, the desert mob. So, mm. yeah. You, I, I, I'm struggling to think of anyone, um, that we've had in here for one of these conversations, uh, any any younger than twenty one, so you might have that uh, that title uh, to boast as well, um, Yalalu. Tell us about uh, Warralong, though. I, I'm going to assume that a lot of people have probably never heard of it. Mm. Uh, paint a picture for us. What's it like? Yeah, so Warralong's just a little community about an hour and a half southeast of Port Hedland. Yeah. Um, and you know you hit the bitumen for about half the ride, and then the rest is all on dirt track. Um, and when you get out there, it's a small community of about 50 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can probably say that half of them are my immediate family members. Um, but yes, yeah, we've got a little school there, Australian Community School. 
uh, where a lot of my nephews and nieces go. Um, and yeah, life out there is pretty relaxing. We mm. go out hunting, go out fishing, and that's the life. Yeah, I, I know you're based in Perth now and have spent some time uh, based in Sydney, but is that still home for you? Yeah, well, home's where the family is, and yeah, you know that's where my grandfather helped set up that community. Yep. Um, and so yeah, it's really important for me, and that's you know place I call home. Yeah. Uh, what was what was life like as a as a youngster there? Yeah, so I was born in Derby and spent a lot of my life in little communities like Warralong and small country towns. Um, and so I was traveling around a lot with my mum and mm-hmm. her work. Um, and so yeah, a lot of places I was saying were um, the most of the population were indigenous. Um, and I think by the time I got to high school, I went to about seven different primary schools. Mm. Um, so yeah, on the move a lot, but yeah, it's much the same all across the program where you go. Yeah. I think a lot of people who haven't been to those sorts of places imagine uh, a life that is, is pretty tough mm. in many ways. Mm. Uh, was it tough for you growing up? Um, well, I was fortunate that be, you know, brought into the world with such a great mother and mm-hmm. realised the importance of education. And I guess for her, when we were in Warralong and when I was staying there, is that she realised that the educational facilities um, just weren't appropriate in terms of getting the education in which you need to survive in today's world. Um, and so, yeah, I was just very fortunate to, you know, be brought up with that mentality and be, you know, taken down to Perth to get mm. world-class education. Your, your mum was a, a native title lawyer? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how did she, if she, did she grow up in, in Warralong as well or? No. So she actually first did a teaching degree. Yeah. Um, and she moved up there and was working at the school. Okay. Um, and that's when she met my dad. He right. Was, he lived out there. Um, and then, yeah, had me and my brother and then, yeah, to support us, mum went back and, you know, did a law degree in three years. Yeah. So yeah, very fortunate to have her in my life. So in terms of, I suppose, your pursuit of education, was she your main inspiration there? Um, I wouldn't say that, yeah, she was an inspiration, but she would never push me down that pathway. She always supported me in what I wanted to do. And yeah. as you mentioned before, you know, AFL, like <laughs> every young Aboriginal boy is just the goal when you're about 16, 17. Um, but yeah, she made me realize that, you know, once you're presented with opportunities and you work hard, you can do whatever you want. And so, yeah. you know, the idea of medicine popped around when I was offered a scholarship to go down to Perth. Um, by This was organised by a close family friend who was a cardiologist. Um, and, you know, reflecting back on the health issues we have in communities, it's just something that I thought, you know, needed to change and I mm. could be that drive in making that change. Mm. I know that you moved around a lot uh, as a kid. What What was that like, you know, having to get used to a new place all the time as a, as a young kid. Yeah, well, I suppose it explains my personality. And for people who know me, I can't sit still for more than a second. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I just got used to it. And I'm quite, I don't know, I, I'd say I'm quite social and yeah. love to meet people. And so, you know, for me, moving around was just, uh, you know, experience and opportunity just to have a better insight about Australia yeah. in general. So, yeah, yeah I, I didn't mind it. You must have some fairly colourful, rich memories uh, of all the different places that you've lived in, because I understand you've even spent time in Queensland, yep. not just in, in WA. Yeah, all over the place. And so from the red dirt um, in, in the Pilbara and right up to, you know, uh, north of Townsville in Queensland. So in the Gulf of Carpentaria there, I spent about two years. And yeah, it's a different way of living, but ultimately, you know, just yeah. enjoy the experience and yeah. learn from it. Um, you mentioned the um, the West Coast Eagles again there. Was that ever seriously, I mean, a, a, a dream is one thing, but was it ever seriously on the cards that you would oh. um, would follow that? Are you that, I mean, you, you, you've got the physique. 
to, to be a footy player, I reckon, at, at, you know, at first glance across the table here. Yeah, but yeah. Was it ever seriously a consideration for you? Oh, well, I came down and did a lot of stuff with Claremont in the, you know, 16 development squad, 17s, yeah. and then I represented the state um, for the country team, Indigenous team. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a mixture of also realising that, you know, what was the best opportunities at school? Um, yeah. Was it footy or was it there to study? Yep. Um, but also uh, I'm made of glass and always prone to injuries. So that also stopped me <laughs> from getting along there. But if I made the AFL, mm, hard to say, probably not. But I reckon I would be somewhere in the Waffle League, I think. Yeah, yeah. okay. There's, so, there's possibly a little more longevity in your now chosen career path. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of your um, exposure to, you know, con- to conditions in the, in the communities that you did live in, um, was that the start of your I suppose, dream of following this medical path. Yeah. Uh, did you did you see and experience things there that, that made you really determined to go, we can do this better and I'd like to be a part of that? Yeah, so I've got uh, on my father's side seven um, aunties and uncles and all of them are either suffering from type 2 diabetes mm-hmm. or chronic uh, kidney disease. And so for me, um, growing up and seeing, you know, some family members pass away and, you know, having to... Um, be present at funerals all the time um, made me realise that, you know, it isn't a normal way of life. When I came down to Perth and, you know, made friends down here and mm. thought, oh, you know, this isn't this isn't right. So, yeah, I guess that's what really inspired me to, you know, think about medicine and going back and, you know, trying to reduce the life expectancy um, difference between Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know you spent your, uh, your, your final high school years uh, at Scotch. Um, tell us how that came about. How did you end up, um, you know, being a student of, of one of the most prestigious schools here in Perth? Yeah, so I had a close family friend um, who's, you know, their family all went to Scotch and they brought up the idea and I thought, yeah, that's something that I want to yeah. do. And so, yeah, I looked at my options and thought, oh, you know, my family yeah. can't really afford this. But I was fortunate enough to re- receive a scholarship and that was through Medala, um, who provide Indigenous scholarships for students all across WA mm-hmm. and particularly from remote and rural areas. Um, so they really helped me out in terms of getting me down here and yeah. getting me set up and yeah, getting so me organised. How old were you then when you put on the uh, the Scotch uniform for the first time? Um, I think I was around what would have been thirteen or fourteen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and where were you at that point in your life? Where were you living then? Um, so before that, I was down in Bunbury for a year. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was a good adjustment, I guess, to the city life, which yeah. is, you know, pretty different. Yeah. Um, and you know, I had that ease in terms of coming in and getting used to um, what would be, you know, and I guess an organized life in terms of going to school and yeah. making sure I'm attending. And yeah, mm. it was great to do that. Uh, and so did you arrive then at Scotch as a, as a day student or a boarder? Yeah. So mum, yeah, fortunately came down as, a, as well yeah. and wanted to support me through it. And, you know, very grateful of that. Mm. Um, so so mum's uprooted from wherever, wherever she is to come here and, and I suppose provide that home for you here so that you can yeah exactly mum's yeah. number one and yeah <laughs> i wouldn't be here without her yeah um is she your biggest fan yep. yeah biggest fan best mate yeah, yeah. toughest critic yep <laughs> <laughs> i bet i'm sure she's uh, incredibly uh, proud of you as well and 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 enjoys telling people that you are the uh wa young person of the year because that's uh, that's certainly a pretty uh, extraordinary achievement what was it like at school how did you find um you know, going to into one of those, I suppose, you know, it's an old establishment environment, isn't it, mm. um, in, in Perth at Scotch College? Yeah, well, 
when I first got there, you know, I always liked the idea of trying new things. And so the first yeah. thing I did was put on a skirt and play the bagpipes, and <laughs> to, you know, join the pipe band. And, you know, that was an amazing experience. And so, you know, one of, that was one of the few things that we got, you know, yeah. involved with at school and realized, you know, the opportunities we get here down in Perth is so much more than the old community school at Strelly. Mm. And so I thought to make the most of them. Um, and so, yeah, over the years, I put my hand up to try different things. Yeah. Know, got to play footy, got to study and, you know, very fortunate to have that. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, with, with studying as well and being with my indigenous peers, I realized that, you know, I was quite fortunate to have that family support as well compared yeah. to, you know, the boys who come down who are at uh, boarding school. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, not having that family support is quite difficult as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really wanted to help them out and make yep. sure that, you know, they were achieving their goals too. Mm. Um, and I suppose another thing that I could reflect on back at my time there was, um, you know, sharing my culture and that realized that was one thing that was quite surprising. You know, I come from quite traditional, um, you know, traditional communities, uh, where we, you know, dance and sing, and mm. uh, suddenly not doing that at all. And, you know, my non-Indigenous people, non-Indigenous friends and students, you know, asking mm. these questions and I thought, you know, it's just common knowledge where I'm from. So, yeah. you know, sharing that with other people and, you know, get, you know, sharing my culture was just a major yeah. thing of it as well. Yeah. Um, how did you go on the bagpipes? Yeah, I think I, I was all right. So but I reckon there are a few worse sounds in the world than the sound of someone learning the bagpipes. I totally agree. I think the bagpipes <laughs> themselves can sound magnificent, but when someone's learning to play them... Oh, it's terrible. And it takes a year horrendous. and a half to actually pick up the proper bagpipes. So, yeah. yeah. Um, again, I have to thank mum for putting yeah. up with that the whole time. But, yeah, it was amazing. Another opportunity I got to do was go over to um, New York and play in a tattoo over there. And, yeah, right. You know, played on top of an ice hockey rink. Yeah. Um, and, you know, perform on the international stage. So mm. that was pretty special. Uh, could you play the didgeridoo before that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we always had a didge hanging around at home. Yeah. And, you know, that sort of helped with the way in which you had to keep blowing yeah. the bag up. Well, because the, the circular breathing. Yeah, um, yeah. You probably already had, right? Yeah. So circular breathing, you know, ways we continuously blow the didgeridoo. Um, it's quite a technique to it. And, yeah, you can apply that to the bagpipes. So, yeah. yeah. Haven't one continued with the bagpipes. No, nah, put them away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we need to take a break. Uh, my special guest uh, in this episode is uh, Yalalu Thomas. This is WA's Inspiring Stories on 8826BR. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882-6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Yalalu Thomas is my special guest in this episode. Um, Yalalu, obviously you, you had to do pretty well at school to, to now be uh, in the university course uh, that you're at. But uh, can I ask, and, and please don't be humble in answering this, did it come naturally to you? Uh, academia at school or did you have to work pretty hard? No, I definitely had to work for it. Yeah. Um, you know, when I grew up, I was speaking, you know, my Aboriginal language back at home. And so English for me was quite a, quite a struggle. And I right. think when I first came to Scotch for the first two years, I was taken out uh, for private tutoring sessions during, you know, mainstream courses just to catch up. Um, so yeah, it did, did not come easy. Um, yeah. but, you know, I worked hard. Um, yeah. That's one thing I did do well. Um, and I think, yeah, it's finally paid off. Yeah. Uh, what would what would life be like for you? Do you think if you hadn't have taken that scholarship, if you, you know, stayed where you were at that point? Um, I can't you, even yeah yeah think about where I would be. I guess I'd be back home in community. Yeah. Um, and you know, in terms of the opportunities that I've had right now, they would be far from a dream. You know, they mm. just wouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's the case for you know a lot of families sometimes that 
you know, they're back at home. It's just those opportunities they don't get. And so, yeah, yeah very fortunate to have that. You might be playing more footy at least. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> on the red there. And probably not play, ever playing the bagpipes. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, so you finished your school. What? Why then uh, Sydney? Why did you uh, head east? I mean, t- you've gone from Bunbury to Perth and then you've taken another step up. Yeah. Uh, going to Sydney. What took you there? Okay, so we're talking about before with me moving around so much. Yeah, you know, exactly. Just, you know, what was it six years in Perth? I had to go somewhere new. But yeah. no, it was, it was also the idea of um, choosing probably one of the best ways uh, and the best degrees in which I can be the best doctor. Yep. And so, you know, at the time, the universities had the different ranking systems and Sydney was up there. So yeah. why not? And so, yeah, I went over there and enrolled in a double degree of medical science and medicine. Sure. Because, you know, one just wouldn't be enough on your plate. <laughs> How did you find life over there? Um, it's quite different. It's another step up from Perth in terms yeah. of the city life. Um, yeah, it was. it's quite expensive to live there and, you know, moving away from home um, and other side of the country. Yeah. Know, I got a bit homesick. Um, but, again, the opportunities were good there and, you know, got to work in the hospitals while I was there as a respiratory technician, um, working on people's lung volumes and uh, testing their lung functions and, mm. you know having that experience is pretty amazing it's such mm. a pretty especially during an undergrad degree um so yeah i did a bit of that and i got the chance to do some volunteer work and play my footy so yeah i loved mm. it and when you say you were homesick were you homesick for for perth or were you homesick for warralong yeah homesick for warralong yeah. yeah um you know which must have just seemed a million miles away it did, and at times, you know, you get down on yourself and you think, oh, you know, wish I was home or um, wish I could be doing things with the family. Um, yeah. And so I guess that's, you know, part of the reason I thought it'd be good to transfer back over to Perth and study yeah. at UWA, yep. um, which I've done this year. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it just makes it easier when I need to go home. Yeah. Um, so back in, in, in Perth, that. Did your mum follow you over to Sydney as well? Did you, no, did you so drag her over there? No, no. I've got a younger brother. Yeah. So, yeah, he's just finished school last year. So, mum cracked the whip on him now. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to follow in big brother's footsteps. Yeah, that's right. um, that's going to be no mean feat for him. <laughs> Hopefully, he can handle that pressure okay. Uh, so, it's good to be back in Perth then. Yeah, yeah. And I love it. And the work that I'm doing, um, you know, being engaged with the stuff that, yeah. um, you know, I've been working in the hospitals down here and, you know, doing that and... You know, family having often visits them and having them come down. You know, it's been great. Mm. Uh, and you, you've been involved with and will be involved in some pretty incredible projects. Uh, you know, looking at um, new technologies um, to make it easier, I suppose, um, for people in Warralong and but in but in all parts uh, of remote and uh, and rural and regional WA in Australia um, to engage with the world of medicine. Right? Tell us tell us about that. Yep. It's a very vague introduction there. So tell us all about, uh, about well, firstly, the app that you're developing. Yeah. Um, well, the current work that I'm doing is called Life Languages. Yep. Um, and that work pretty much is translating a lot of the medical terminology that are used by uh, physicians and clinicians and doctors um, into Aboriginal languages across Australia. Yep. Um, and the reason why I think it's important to do this work is because English is often a second, third, fourth language in a lot of rural communities. And, you know, you've got parts of uh, Northern Territory where people are speaking seven different languages. Yeah. Um, and so when it comes to healthcare, you know, people need to know what what they're there for and what's happening to improve their health. And it's just such an issue that I see day in, day out back mm. at home. Um, and especially now on the medical pathway, <laughs> I often have an, you know my phone going off all the yeah. time, asking me to talk to doctors and my family, and you know help communicate and translate a lot of the work. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, I guess making that easier for not only Indigenous people, but also for the nurses, the doctors, Aboriginal health workers to help convey that information so they can improve their yeah. health. Yeah. And I imagine given there are so many different languages spoken, you know, right across Australia, that's a pretty huge task. It yeah. is. And the thing is, is languages are very different as well. Yeah. Um, so where I'm from, I speak Nyangamara and then my grandmother, she speaks Mandaljara, which is the you know, language next door. Mm. Um, and I can probably understand maybe 10% of her words. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. So you've got to take that language and, and, and as many others as you can. Yeah. And, and then make them work, um, you know, with medical technology. Well, that's, that's the amazing thing is, uh, you know, I can't do this by myself. And so yeah. what I've gone ahead and done is set up a life language champions program. Um, in which we're sort of recruiting uh, young Indigenous people to go out and do the work that we're wanting to do. Um, and so with that, we're seeing a lot of Indigenous people, especially, you know, medical students studying away from home, um, connecting back to their languages mm -hmm. um, and back to their culture. Um, and, yeah, it's pretty inspiring to hear some of the stories that come out of it. Um, we got one example uh, where we sent out the dictionary because mm. we had a young Indigenous um, student who... Didn't, didn't speak much language, so he thought yeah. that'd be the best way to start. Um, and he got his dictionary and he started reading it and realised that his grandmother wrote it and he had no mm. idea about that. And so he's rung up the language centre and said, oh, you know, mm. oh, <laughs> my, my na nana wrote this. And then the lady on the other side of the phone call said, yeah, th I'm your auntie. So all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you've got these social impacts as well, not just health. Yeah, yeah. And were you personally impacted by that? Did you see that growing up? You mentioned before that, um, you know, that, that, that diabetes and kidney issues are, are rife in your own family, that disconnect, um, you know, where language is a huge part of that. Um, did that impact the way that your immediate family engaged with medical services close to your community? Yeah, I suppose when, you know, they first heard this idea about me, you know, sitting down, I'll sit down with the old people outside and writing down all the different terminology that we're going through and translating. And yeah, um, it's not only the idea of having the ideas, you know, said in language, it's also the acceptance of you know, cultural backgrounds, yep. uh, which is just so important, and, you know, <laughs> where we're such a diverse, you know, country in Australia, um, it's important to realise that when people from community have to travel, you know, 17 hours if they're driving down to Perth uh, for a clinic, you know, yep. they're way out of their comfort zone. So, you know, even just using language just to help ease tension in the room because people can be quite stressed when yep. seeing, you know, a doctor they've never seen before in their life, yep. um, it's quite important. And the, and the, the medical practitioners that you would engage with just again using uh, Warralong as the, as the example mm. um, would you have to travel to Port Hedland is that the nearest port of call yeah for, so for basic services we do have an Aboriginal, Aboriginal medical center that um, travel out to our community once a week yeah um, but you know this is dependent on how many people would be out in the community and then yeah. we go out if everyone's out there sometimes you know it's school holidays everyone's in town so they yeah. don't um, but yeah mostly if an emergency happened or you you know, urgently need to see a doctor, you have to jump in a car and travel two hours down the road. Drive an hour and a half minimum. Mm -mm. Yeah. That's right. And when you get there, is that when, I suppose, that, that breakdown starts, you know, where there's perhaps a, a lack of trust, a lack of understanding mm -mm. Um, that ultimately you're hoping to help overcome? Exactly. And it's all those points and, you know, things get more and more complicated if, you know, which is often happening where um, my family and people from Indigenous people from the people who are flown down to Perth yeah. and not having an idea of wh where they're going, how long they'll be staying in Perth and doing it all by themselves. Yeah. It's quite daunting. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Uh, fascinated by um, your facial recognition stuff as well, which I'll, I'll ask you about uh, right after the break. 
which we'll do now, shall we? This is Inspiring Stories. Uh, everyone has a story to tell. In this episode, we're hearing uh, the story of Yalalo Thomas, the 2020 Young West Australian of the Year. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, my guest in this episode is the uh, WA uh, Young Person of the Year for 2020, Yalalu Thomas. Uh, Yalalu, um, let's just put to one side this uh, amazing app that you're uh, trying to develop. Uh, you're using technology in another context as well, um, using the, the very latest um, facial recognition and, and imaging technology uh, to chart all sorts of genetic uh, problems in remote communities as well. Can you? That's again a pretty vague <laughs> introduction. I'm sure you'll uh, expand on that for us. How does that work, and what are you trying to um, to to make better there? Yeah, it, it is a complicated talking point, and I'll start with I guess my position at the moment and yep. working at um, King Edward Hospital is that. Yeah, I was fortunate. Sorry, can I, is this all just on the side? This is just you pursuing your own things over and above your medical studies? Yeah, so yeah. this is also work for me as well. Um, and the app, you know, extra yeah. work. But yeah. Again, you, yeah, you can't sit still for five minutes. Exactly, obviously. exactly yeah, yeah. right. Um, but yeah, I, I was fortunate to receive a, um, you know, an internship in terms of precision public medicine. Yeah. And what that means is we're essentially looking at new ways and new technology that we can um, solve existing health problems. Yeah. And so. When we look at rare and genetic diseases, um, in Australia, we have about 500,000 children who are affected by it. And I guess... 500,000? Exactly. It's, it's quite amazing. And you think about a rare disease, the definition of it is one child affected in one in 2,000, and they yeah. suffer from a range of complex health conditions. And so when we look at WA alone, that's 60,000 children. Yeah. And so you think about it, that's enough to fill just about every seat at Opera Stadium. Yeah. It's pretty extraordinary in terms of, you know, how how much is needed in terms of helping these kids um, see the right doctors, get the right diagnosis, so they can have the right treatments and manage management plans and yeah. live the best life that they can. Yeah. And so, yeah, with um, the project that we're doing at the moment um, in Pilbara Faces is we're using 3D facial technology. And the reason why we do that is because children with rare genetic diseases have subtle so facial clues. And it's found about one third of all rare genetic diseases, these subtle facial clues in which you can just find an absolute correct diagnosis. And so rather than having an invasive test like a blood test, mm -hmm. um, and it's, also, it's, it's much quicker in terms of getting a diagnosis and much easier for families, especially if they live in areas where you know, these specialists aren't, which they're all in Perth, so yeah. all of country WA. Um, so yeah, at my work last, last year was just involved going around from community to community and building a reference range for Aboriginal faces in which we can use this 3D facial technology out in communities. Yep. Um, and yeah, so far we're putting, I think it's Australia's first database of 3D facial features. Um, and from that, we can hopefully leave out cameras in communities in which they can go, um, just down the road, get their photo taken and the photo could be sent to the doctor down in Perth and not... Save all the travel yeah. time and yeah. you know, all the stress that's involved with that. Okay, so do, would you only have to take one image of the of the child, or does, is it a case of that you you monitor those subtle differences that develop over time? How does that work? So this is being used worldwide at the moment, yeah. um, and we're experiencing um, you know new data day to day, and so with longitudinal studies, we can sometimes see if we're given a, a child that's been taking a treatment or a type of medication over time um, that's 
set out to improve their health, we can also see, you know, healthy changes in their face. Mm. Um, so we don't exactly know that. Mm. Um, but yeah, we're hoping to, from a project like this, gather um, all this data and yeah. provide a better um, future for communities. So you spent uh, quite a bit of time last year taking that technology to the communities. What's it like when you get there, when you rock up with this stuff, There's these gadgets and 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 cameras and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, well, that's that, the thing. That kids have probably never seen before. It sounds quite complex in terms of three D facial imaging, right? Yeah. Um, but it's just ba- a basic, you know, a handheld camera. Yeah. And it's just got a fancy attachment on the end. Yeah. And so kids sort of realise, oh, you know, what's that? And then I take their photos and show them on the computer, and you know, you can zoom right around and it's as if you're seeing their face through the screen. Yeah. Um, and they're quite amazed by it. Yeah. And you know, get all excited and asking all these questions, what's that? Yeah. What's this? And so. Yeah, um, I really love doing that work. You must get a buzz out of just seeing the interest from them and, the, and their eyes light up when they're, you know, seeing this come to life. Exactly right. And I'm hoping from this, you know, they can see me as you know, a kid that was like them back in communities and seeing the things that I'm doing and say, yeah. right, I can do that too. And so, yeah. yeah, hopefully being a role model for them and whether it's medicine or whatever it wants to be in terms of, you know, teaching, we need that. There's mm. a big problem we have in communities and having yeah. um, permanent teachers. Um, yeah. You know, I just want to inspire people to chase an education. Yeah. So, so give us an example. Talk us through an example. If you if you take your your camera uh, to a community, you take an image of a of a child that goes back to uh, to Perth. Yeah. Um, to go onto a database. Yep. Um, how do you look at someone's facial structure and then go? I think they've got such and such a condition. Can you give us an example how that would actually play out? Yeah, so we do a lot of work um, with the Clean Face team, which are based at Curtin University. Mm-hmm. Um, and Richard Palmer is an amazing mastermind, along with Gareth Bainham, um, who's a clinical geneticist, who's put all the software together. Um, and so essentially what we can do with these images um, is compare the face of a child who might suffer from a rare genetic disease to yeah. what's considered, I guess, a normal facial appearance for their age and sex. Um and so from that, we can spend about two minutes processing the face yep. um, onto what it should be um, and come up with a range of different, you know, these subtle facial clues. Yeah. And those clues indicate to the doctor, okay, this might be the diagnosis for the child. Yeah. And so we've had cases, and this just happened last year, um, where we had one Aboriginal family from Kalgoorlie and also one from Port Hedland um, in which we could get a diagnosis from measuring just the ear length and the tooth length. Is that right? Yeah. And it was a confirmed clinical diagnosis. Given the the natural variations in, in people's facial structures and, and characteristics anyway, I, I find that extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty so, amazing, so the wonders. Yeah, ear, ear size and, and tooth size. Yeah. yeah, that's all it had to do. And so, yeah, it, it, it gives us a direction in terms of, you know, the blood tests that definitely confirm it, but it also gives us yeah. um, an absolute diagnosis and does yeah. not sometimes require a blood test. Yeah. And how far along in that process are you in? you know, loading all those images in and, and building that database. So I suppose there is no end point, is there? You just yeah, into it. it's like, you know, how many images um, do I want and do yeah. we want um, for this to be, um, I guess, useful? And I guess the mark would be around 1,000 images. Mm. Um, but, you know, how long is a piece of string? The more images we get, the better we can, the better data we have and yeah, you know, better outcomes we, we can have, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, and have there been any trends that have come out of that that you, you could tell us about or is it too early? In terms of oh, just in terms of um, of conditions that you're seeing, um, you know, more regular regularly pop up. Yeah, um, you know, things that might then start to uh, change health policy, that might start to to change the way people, um, you know, engage with 
medical services in, in, in parts of WA? Well, I guess the most important thing is making sure that, you know, children with rare genetic diseases at their f- number one um, support group, which is their family, mm. um, know what's going on, and then we can make it as easy as possible for them. So in many cases, we've had children who were diagnosed one in four in the world at the moment. Yeah. And so, you know, we're suddenly, they've yeah. gone from an isolation of not only living in rural in a rural area, but also being connected to other families who are, you know, have children suffering from the same disease. Um, and they can, you know, talk about ways in which, you know, yeah. you know management plans work for their kid versus theirs. Yeah. And they're suddenly connected. So yeah, it's so important. Yeah. Uh, we need to take another break. After that, I really want to ask you how um, your... Uh, life, um, you know, in a small community uh, and all the, I'm sure the incredible stories that go, you know, go with um, not just medical things, but just, you know, life and creation uh, in that community, how that marries up with, you know, with modern Western science, if that's not too big a concept to, <laughs> to grapple with. I'll have to think about it. Yeah. Have to think about it. <laughs> Let's take an ad break uh, and we'll try and get our teeth into that after we hear a few messages. This is Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR. Back with more in a minute. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Yalalu Thomas, uh, who is only 21. I reckon might be the youngest ever uh, inspiring story we've had uh, here in the studio. But his uh, his story, even though 21 years uh, of age, is quite extraordinary uh, in itself. Um, we've we've spoken a lot about life uh, in in Warralong, a tiny community, uh, about 120 odd case uh, south of of Port Hedland. I'm curious to know. Um, you know, I, I love hearing all the stories and the and the very specific stories attached to particular you know particular parts of WA in Australia. You know about about life and creation and 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 the earth and the rivers and the sky and the trees and the stars and all the rest of it. Um, and you've been sort of I suppose plucked out of that world, not plucked, but you've you've moved from that world to Mm-mm. to Perth to Sydney, and you've you're now you know right in the middle of being schooled in this uh, in this very formal. Uh, Western world of medicine, how does that marry up with the stories that are so ingrained uh, in the community that you've come from that you still call home? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, starting off to answer that question, I think, you know, before my time and especially with my grandparents, Yeah. Um, my grandmother walked out of the desert when she was around seven, I think. Um, mind you, she doesn't have a birth certificate because yeah. Yeah, she walked into the modern world. Um, so we don't know exactly how old she is, um, but yeah, she she remembers so many stories about seeing you know white faces for the first time and camels yeah. and you know the, the, I can't imagine that sort of change yeah. in life. Uh, so she, an, she was in in Warralong then when she no she was further yeah. inland into the, into the desert. Um, okay, so another maybe five or six hours. Yep, um, right in the Great Sandy Desert, and so yeah, when she first walked out, um, you know that was still living in Australia that was very different to today. Yeah, um, and I guess you know, their life was growing up, um, you know, it was very culturally based. And so there's examples of my grandfather who used to sing songs for three nights in a row about, you know, the country, the landscape and, you know, the spiritual connections we have with it. And so, yeah, that's still very strong and prominent in today's world. And for me and a lot of other Indigenous students that are coming down to Perth to get an education, we have to walk in both worlds. Mm. And it's important for us to do that because we don't want to forget the old ways and 
you know, this, this amazing rich culture that we have. And at the same token, we want to, you know, live in, in this modern world and improve our, improve our communities and build a better, brighter future. And so, yeah, I guess a good word that I like to use in terms of explaining that concept is kujiragari. And that's what we say when we're sort of like walking down two lines. Mm. So yeah, it's an inter- interesting juggling act in terms of, you know, yeah. as much as I want to become a doctor in the Western side, I want to make sure, you know, I'm learning these songs that my grandfather yeah. know, has been passed down from his dad, from his dad and his great grandfather uh, for, you know, thousands of years. So yeah, I'm just very fortunate to have that and yeah, yeah wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. And, and what about when it comes to specific um, issues around health and, and, and medicine? Um, have there been any, um, you know, clashes of, of, of thought there for you? Yeah, well, I guess it's not so much clashes of thought. It's just the best way in terms of delivering difficult concepts when you're yeah. talking about medically related things. And so mm. when you talk about rare and genetic diseases, where do you start with, mm. um, with a non-scientific background? So you start DNAs and cells and Mm. Even that's a hard concept in itself. Yeah. And so when you add language and cultural barriers in there as well, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we're working um, on another a number of projects in which you're trying to address this issue. Um, and that's explaining um, these medical uh, concepts with a cultural twist yep. through a cultural lens. And so, you know, for um, a lot of my family back at home, we understand the idea and a lot of families across Australia do where we have a corroboree, we come together, we sing, we dance. Um, and so we use that concept um, in terms of explaining the DNA and how our DNA is sort of our own singers for our body. Mm. And so suddenly everyone goes, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. I know mm. what you're talking about. Mm. Um, and so building resources like this um, to distribute to you know, family members, but also to just raise awareness about rare genetic yeah. disease in communities is just so important. Yeah. So you've just got to, I suppose, establish you know, one context in the other context and hope that it works. Oh well, yeah, it it does. I've I've sort of built up a draft and taken yeah. it back to try to use it because you know often I'm sitting down and trying to explain these concepts when I'm doing the 3D imaging, but people just aren't understanding. Yeah. And so yeah, I, I you know did, did a really basic book and took it back and said, yeah, what do you think now? And suddenly it's clicked it, and it, it makes sense. People understand. So yeah, um, yeah, it's amazing in terms of you know talking analogies and medical concepts and how we can relate that. And you know we have certain words that sort of mean the same concepts back when we're talking about medical related things so yeah yeah it's just using that um is you know an advantage of sort of trying to address the health issues that we're using yeah, yeah. um so once you uh, you finish what is a pretty long road um with your studies um and you and you mentioned you're back here at, at uwa uh to do that uh, what happens beyond that what would you ultimately like to do yeah so i guess that's another reason why i moved back to finish off my studies in wa mm. um I really want to go back and work out in rural and remote areas um, and to address the health issues that we have for Indigenous people. We, we, and, and I just don't mean to interrupt you there. Mm. We hear that a lot um, and we hear it a lot from politicians yep. particularly yep. Uh, talking about that. It's a fantastic thing to say, but I, have, I must say I have way more faith in you actually making a difference <laughs> in that space than you know than a politician who you know who's going to say it from, from thousands of kilometres away. Um you mentioned before about you know being able to sort of walk in have a have a foot in in, in both worlds and 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 marry them together mm-hmm. uh, somehow is that the secret to actually having real positive impact and, and closing the gap to use a well-worn phrase it is and i guess you're not going to find more invested people in terms of indigenous health and indigenous yeah, people working exactly. with their families and so yeah. you know 
having more and more indigenous doctors, indigenous nurses, and mm. indigenous Aboriginal health workers, um, it's just vital in terms of addressing that um, gap in life expectancy, which is about ten years in men and women. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it, it, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, um, but I think education is the key to solving that. Given that you've had, um, you know, some real insights now into how um, modern medicine is rolled out in, in the in the big cities, mm-hmm. uh, when you go back to your community, do you get frustrated when you see, you know, people who have no idea talking about these things, you know, closing the gap and we've got to do this and we've got to do that? Uh, when you go back to community and perhaps you think we should be doing this better, we should be closing that gap faster in terms of life expectancy. Does, do you do you ever get frustrated at mm. things being done badly? I guess it's not so, so much a sense of frustration, but for me it's almost a tool for motivating yeah. uh, myself in terms of getting more and more of my you know um, nephews and nieces educated and having mm. the same experience that I had mm. um, so they can themselves open up their eyes to you know what, yeah, should be um, what currently is. Yeah, um, and making the changes for themselves as well. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm very interested and yeah, dedicated to pursuing that. Yeah. For most of my life. How's your younger brother going? Yeah, he's good. He's yeah. good. He's bigger than me at the moment. So yeah, <laughs> he'd be loving that. Treating him nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, following in your footsteps at all, I suppose you know if you're going to be a mentor to to anyone, um, being the big brother. Uh, he should be looking up to you, right? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> when, you know, I don't know if everyone has any brothers, but yeah, it's a very different relationship. Nah, but yeah, he... I did look up to my... I, yeah, once <laughs> I got taller than my brother, it was, that was it. Exactly right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm proud of him. He's just finished um, his year 12 um, high school certificate last year. Yeah. Um, and he'll be going down to University of WA to do a double degree in law. So Okay. Yeah. Well, um, he's, he, he is following in your mum's footsteps then. Exactly. He might go to being number one son after a while. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a, another space where he could make a, a real impact. Exactly. Um, if we were to have this conversation, though, in another, say, 50 years' time, Mm-mm. you'd still only be 71 then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what would you like us to be talking about? Um, how there isn't a gap in Indigenous health as it once was yep. 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, and how there hopefully isn't a gap anymore. Yeah. And, and I suppose uh, your app would be, <laughs> well, technology might have moved on again uh, from the app, but your app would be still there just breaking down those communication barriers and your facial recognition technology. You'd have this immense database. And mm. Yeah, it's all it's all about making uh, health accessible everywhere yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Do you see yourself, though, as, as living back uh, on country or, or being based in a city? Yeah, so I definitely want to go work rurally. Um, yeah. And, you know, people ask me, what do you want to specialise in? And I've got no idea. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I do know is that I do want to be working in communities. And yeah. so where I can have the most impact, probably a GP, a rural GP. And, yep. Yeah, travel from community to community. Get some red dust on your boots again. That's right. I have no doubt that you'll achieve that and more. Uh, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your Thomas Yulalu. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little moments are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.